Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, and more. Surprise, everybody. We have another bonus episode for you. Whew, man, too much has been going on. We had to do one. We had two audiobook samples drop this weekend. And as much as I tried to cover them on TikTok, holy God, we had to do a bonus episode because there's so much information in those two little snippets. Before we dive into every morsel, every sentence, every word of these two audiobook samples, we want to do a quick reminder. Fantasy Fangirls now has merch. We heard you. We're so excited to finally be offering it. We have stickers for Fantasy Fangirls and of course God fucking damn it Dane. We have bags. We have candles. Everything. And we're even hearing from a few of you all that you want some extra things from the podcast like a Dane the Stain sticker and you bet your sweet bippy we heard you. We're adding some of those as well. I'm so excited for my stuff to arrive. You know I'm going to be repping it like every single podcast episode afterward. All the links to our store are in the show notes. And as always before we dive in content warning. We a Fantasy Fangirls girls podcast are adults who say adult things about an adult book. I won't even tell you the explicitives that erupted from my mouth when the audiobook sample cut off mid-sentence because if I did tell you those explicitives, this would be much higher than an R-rating podcast. Now I'm just curious. (laughs) I was mad. (laughs) We also talk spoilers. This episode is literally talking about the excerpts from Iron Flame. So if you have not read Fourth Wing or don't want to hear the previews from the sequel, please stop listening. We have the previews in our show notes. So if you want to listen to them and then come back to listen to us, that's totally fine. Or if you have freakish self-control and you're not listening to either of them before you get the full book on November 7th, then get the heck out of here with your freakish self-control. All of us who have none of it will be here discussing the excerpts. And now let's dive in to these way too short snippets from Iron Flame. Let's do a mini battle brief here, Nicole. What happened? It's mini is in major air quotes there. (laughs) For the Apple Books audio sample, we get the very beginning of the book. We open with a public notice 628.85, which is transcribed by one Cyrilla Nilwert. The notice is from six years ago, announcing the burning of Arisha by Dragonfire in accordance to the Treaty of Arisha. And this excerpt explains that all of the souls who were able to flee survived, and those who did not remained entombed in their ruins. Dun, dun, dun. Chapter one. The chills that just out of my body. Oh my God. Our story begins back in Arisha right after we end in fourth wing. Violet is in the kitchen at Arisha eating honey biscuits and staring at Brennan. And he looks like such a proud bro. Violet begins to internally recall everything that has totally flipped upside down for her in the last few days. And as Brennan is just acting the most casual, Violet describes her not so dead older brother in probably one of the most beautiful literary character descriptions I have ever read. Yes, I cried. Apparently, like a good older bro, he had one condition before taking her to her dragons. Eat something. To which our favorite curmudgeon of a dragon agreed. She keeps mentally reaching out to Andarna, but she's being quiet. We learn that the mental bond is no longer gold like her scales. Yes, we will be talking about it. Brennan is like, what is wrong with you, Vi? You've barely said anything. Dude, she literally thought you were dead for six years and she almost died. Give her a minute. And of course, we get some lovely sibling banter. I cannot wait for more of this. We then see Bodhi, who's repping a fresh haircut and his arm in a sling. And there's a letter for Brennan slash maybe Lieutenant Colonel Asari. We'll talk about that from Bezgaeth. A writer had just dropped it off. How many freaking rebellion writers are there in Bezgaeth? 
Blackstone Library audiobook sample. A riot of dragons from Arisha, including Violet and Taryn, are flying in the dead of night to sneak Andarna back into the veil. And as we fly over the flight field and Bezgai, we get a delicious download of Empyrean history about hatchlings and the trust that dragons have with humans. But Violet is still being a little bitter bunny with Taryn for hiding things from her, and rightfully so. And Taryn swivels his head back like a slinky character from Toy Story to look at her and like kind of apologizes. But Violet knows she'll forgive her dragons eventually. However, Zayden, he's still in the doghouse. The sample politely ends with the sentence from Taryn, we're approaching, get ready. Oh boy, I'm so excited to now tap into our signet powers for this little mini deep dive. Let's talk about the public notice 628.85, which is by Cyrilla Nilwert. Who are you, Cyrilla Nilwert? I need to know more. My guess is that because the last names are the same as the Cyrilla and Jacinia, it is either Jacinia's mom, sister, aunt. Because this is six years old, and I'm guessing that because this is such a big deal of a public notice. This is probably done by a graduated scribe, which makes me think it's most likely Jacinio's mother or an aunt figure, something like that. What are your thoughts, Lex? I definitely think it's her mom. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like that is too. like too big of a coincidence for it to be like not a direct relative. So I think that I love that little tidbit we get. Yes, I'm convinced it's her mom. Same. All right. And then we also learned that Arisha burned, which was six years ago by Dragonfire. We kind of already knew this, but it's cool to see it. I'll say like in the history text here, it calls into question which dragon is the one that burned Arisha to the ground. I thought it was probably Coda. See, I was thinking Lilith's dragon Aimsir with her being like general. I don't know because she's like General Melgren is like the general. So it would make sense that it was his. You, I mean, I know you say this, but like probably both, maybe both. I don't think it was just one dragon. I think it was both of them, possibly a few other dragons. But it does make me wonder if it was Aimsir and if Aimsir didn't burn it totally to the ground, which I'm going to be talking about here in a second, maybe Lilith didn't want to fully destroy the city, which here, let's just go ahead and jump into this next yes, part here. Please, I'm so curious. <laughs> Quote unquote, hereby recorded. So we know that the like when scribes record the histories, they tend to fudge it to be more aligned with what Navarre wants its people to think. And if so much of this place in Arisha was stone, does that mean that the records are exaggerated, that it was completely burned? to the ground. Probably not like because we do know that they are indeed rebuilding the city. It is taking up a lot of effort. It's not like it just wasn't burned down. But I wonder if it was like not if, if it was still exaggerated a little bit the devastation that was caused. Violet even thinks something along the lines that it wasn't destroyed as much as she thought. And it makes me wonder if the records were exaggerated. This wouldn't make sense if the dragon who burned the city was indeed Coda or, or really any Navarian loyalist because that just wouldn't be exaggerated. They wouldn't have wanted it exaggerated. They would have wanted to absolutely burn the city to the ground. So if the records were purposefully exaggerated, does that mean the dragons and riders, possibly plural there, burning it would have actually had to be good guys? And if that's the case, they probably wouldn't want to burn it in the first place. This does bring into question, though, because the subtitle of the book is Burn It down. Originally, I thought that was referring to Bezgaeth because of oh. how much, yeah, like how much it's hinted like, oh, you know, Mark Twins, we'd rather burn this place to the ground than be here. But what if at the end of this book, Iron Flame, you know, I've talked in the theories episode, like someone's going to get interrogated by Dane and I'm assuming also Dane's dad. What if they find out Erasia is still alive and well and then they go back and reburn it again and that's the burn it down that would be so sad if Arisha reburned after all this that they've been putting towards oh, 
that this book is not going to be a happy ending. Oh, I just boy. know it in my bones. I'm so afraid I'm going to be wrecked. So there's also a note in this public notice that says those who fled survived. I'm assuming maybe, I don't know, would Zayden's mother be of those people who had fled? And if so, who else survived? I feel like we're about to meet so many people. And we'll talk about some of the people that are like hinted at and even just like slightly described in just a second. But we're about to meet so many new characters. And I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of this is how this happened on the day that it was burned. Oh, God, it kills me. So the book opens with what we can determine is a little bit later on the same day of book one's cliffhanger ending. And so first things first (laughs) about the opening, I have to say this on the air for Nicole and all of our listeners, Nicole was right. Yes. (laughs) So we have a few bets going with the predictions that we were going to wait to like go through the whole list here on our October 30th Iron Flames predictions. Like we haven't even figured out what would happen to the winner and loser of this bet because we were not expecting this preview at all. We thought we had more time. You just get bragging rights on this one. You were right that they start in Arisha. (laughs) I will accept it. I will glorify it. I will probably use it to my advantage way too much. But excuse me as I clip the last minute of this podcast and post it all over the internet (laughs) to see. I'm just going to be merchandise that shows Nicole was right and she just gets it for me for Christmas and my birthday. (laughs) Don't tempt me with a good time. I would totally do that. But here's the deal. I also remember in that episode vividly say I think it's going to open with Brennan is alive and while that is not the first sentence here's my first part of my bragging rights I do think that because we get it about 45,000 times in a five minute clip I do get that credit pretty majorly for two to two I'm so proud I'm so proud I was having fun believing that we would open up more to like on subscription day kind of like the original excerpt that we received something like this that we are getting right now would be more of like a filler throughout the first few hundred pages of the book but you're right. You were right, Nicole. We do open up here. And I am very glad that we do. You know, it just feels so right to pick up where we – it's not picking up like right where we left off. You know, mm-hmm. if I had to guess, it's about an hour or so later. So Zayden yeah. certainly does not seem to be present. I think that's a pretty safe bet here. And Violet is, of course, really wanting to see her dragons. I'm not going to lie. I love – like, you know me. I'm, I love Zayden. I want to know where the fuck Zayden is. But I love that it opens up just Brennan and Violet. I love that we just get that sibling moment, especially considering how close Mira and Violet are in fourth wing and that we get that experience just seeing the two of them in Iron Flame. Kind of mirrors it from the beginning of the first book where it was Mira, her mom, and her. And then in the second book, it's her and her brother there. I, I did love not that. Think about that. And then I just love how it catches you up with the end of the last book. This is really important for sequels and they can do it a really good job or they can not do such a good job. And I think this is really well done. The way that Violet is reciting all of these big, unbelievable things and she's still actively processing everything that has happened to her in this last week. I agree. Like every sequel of every book ever has like that little like recap during the first part. I mean, I always think about Harry Potter because I think that was always done really well in Harry Potter. Even though it's like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's literally a bulleted list, it feels like. It's still so well done because it's just Violet digesting everything. Yes. And we also have been waiting, you know, like a year to digest or half a year to digest it with her. And so that was just brilliant. I loved it. Speaking of digesting information, Brennan is alive. Oh my God. It's just, it's worth repeating because Violet sure says it over and over again. Brennan is alive. He's grown up in these years. We can guess he's between 30 and 32 years old. Yes, I did the in-depth math. I'm not going to go through it right now, but if you wanted, I have my notes on it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's kind of sad. Violet notices his dimple is, quote unquote, the only boyish thing left. Like he I- war changed him so much. And I love this little description. It says, which now has tiny lines at the edges of his eyes. It must be so like, I can't imagine seeing you right now and then closing my eyes for six years and then seeing you six years from now like that would just be so weird and to have that experience where we get to see her explaining she says like his face is almost angular which I want to know more about that because like why like stress yeah like stress it's just part of growing up like your thing like kind of like more angular faces mean you haven't eaten the same way like yeah that stress Mm. like he doesn't have that boyishness to his face anymore that he did when he was younger that description i I said this in in the battle brief but like it, it literally made me just start weeping because it was so beautifully it, again it's show don't tell done to a masterful level it was yep. so good and it's also just so sweet how he can't stop smiling like he is so excited to see his sister again and he's trying not to make things awkward with his shared childhood memory but it's just a really awkward situation that you can't escape from <laughs> I love how he's you can almost hear him thinking what the hell do we talk about yeah <laughs> He's almost like forcing this childhood memory callback because it's like, hey, we have this bond. Like, I don't know what to talk about. But like, I don't envy him in this moment. It would be difficult. It's not even the right word. It would be impossible to think about what this situation would be like and how to carry on a conversation. And especially Brennan, who's kind of like trying to make it all like, gotta, 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 you know, like very jokey. But especially also since it is a very one-sided conversation, Violet's not responding until like halfway through the excerpt, over halfway. Violet's really giving him some sass. Like, I know. to be honest, I would be a little pissed off at my brother if I'd been mourning his death for the past six years. And now he's like trying to crack jokes with me as I'm still processing his <laughs> him being alive I would be livid absolutely livid irate indeed actually here he is like smiling like he hasn't just been dead to the world for six years but I love the irony of this line Brennan says a few days ago I was pretty sure I'd never get to watch you do well anything again dude like she hasn't felt this way for six fucking years my guy the fact that he was just like yeah like I thought it was gonna lose you forever she's like like what is that like you know I just I love that and then him saying oh man I think this is a little bit of a I can't believe we're already here I think this is a little bit of Brennan taking L's because he's like you're welcome by the way for mending you I would have lunged myself at him and like throat punched him see I think we're getting some of that Brennan sass that we got like in those little snippets throughout the book of Brennan and it's so much fun to see that now targeted at Violet versus Mira when he's like I know you got to be the best at everything Mira but you can't rush this right like he is he's a little bit of a sassy character and we and it's so much fun like seeing this on display at first that's true. I'm not going to call it taking L's yet. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'll say taking a lowercase L. This is a lowercase L from my guy. <laughs> and then I also just love how a girl from the kitchen smiles at Brennan. Like he's probably got quite a few ladies crushing on him and probably quite a few of us here soon too. 100%. Absolutely. I already can feel myself falling in love with this man. But a lot of people are speculating that this, you know, girl from the kitchen who smiles at him is a romantic interest. Personally, when I heard it for the first time, time I read it almost or I listened to it almost as like a leader who's very respected and has like a friendly level of connection with the people quote unquote beneath him however they might be beneath him in more ways than one I don't know we'll see (laughs) only time will tell and then of course our favorite middle-aged grumpy dragon is back 
back. I'm so excited to see Taryn with his low, arrogant voice, you know, just acting like a dad as always. We love you so much, Taryn. Thankfully, we do get a lot more of Taryn in the second audiobook preview. We'll talk a lot about that then. Plus, you know, a peek into his and Violet's relationship after his betrayal. I full on screamed when we heard his voice come through. And oh my God, I just can't wait to be back with this dynamic duo. But one of the two big questions on everyone's minds after reading this is what the fuck is going on with Andarna? It's described as reaching out for Andarna. There's no response. There's no shimmering bond, no longer golden like her scales. Violet isn't even able to get a mental picture of Andarna that was so clear for nine months. She says that she's still a little foggy from dying, but like, I don't, I definitely don't think that's it. Definitely not. I don't think that's the only thing here. I like, let's okay. So first of all, let's start with her color. I think that's the biggest question on all of our minds. I still just don't see her being a regular colored dragon. Mm-hmm. We've heard a lot of theories even before this excerpt came out that she'll be black or she'll be blue or she'll be brown or she'll be a green dragon. But my heart just doesn't want to believe that. I don't feel like she would look like any other dragon either. Just based on the second preview that we receive, they're trying to hide her in darkness, which makes me think she can't just blend in with the other dragons with their you know regular dragon colors. And then you. There's the quote unquote shimmering bond. It makes me wonder, is she silver now? Like with scales to match Vi's hair color? You know, there's speculation that she's white or even purple that could represent royalty. I'm still sticking to my guns here that Andarna is royal in some way, shape or form or, or whatever the dragon equivalent to that is. Whatever the case, I think think it's safe to say that she's no longer golden. And that's based on the ominous, you know, no longer golden like her scales. I am still convinced that she's a unique color. And yes, I admit for the second time here, I was wrong because I honestly thought she was going to stay golden. Like it's not impossible that she still is. That would be a very strange thing to say in this mental connection if she's still golden. And this definitely messes with my golden like the sun theory and the book cover and her and Violet's tattoo. Like I'm so confused. Why is she not golden? I really thought she was going to stay golden and I don't know what to think anymore. I feel like everything I know is a lie after reading this. Like, I just, I don't know. I truly don't know either. I, I do agree with you. I do think it's safe to assume that she is no longer gold, which I was firmly in the camp that she was going to Me stay too. gold. But you make a good point about her tattoo. Like, is that, I do love the idea about her becoming like silver or white because especially if she is white, it would be like a white and black dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the nature likes all the things in balance, very yin and yang kind of style there. So I could see something like that, but I love the idea of her being silver to match Violet's hair. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know. I need it to be November 7th because this is one of the first things I feel like I need to know. But also like, I love how in Zayden's POV, it's just mentions that she's fucking huge now. There's nothing about that. She just happened to change color. So again, maybe there's something else going on with her body. I don't know. I don't don't know know either. Or maybe it's just supposed to throw us off. Did a good fucking job. Nicole, I just want her to be golden. I will theorize to, I just want her to stay golden. But no. Let's talk about her size. So we know that she has been sleeping a lot, which is usual after using her gift and apparently her gift is gone like we learn in Zayden's POV but speaking of Zayden's POV at the end of fourth wing we learn that she is huge has she been growing in her sleep then I guess but this also makes me think is it because that she is so close to the crystallized gems their magic has to do something with growing I have no idea however it is also so intense for us readers to be in Violet's head, she has not seen her dragons yet. We know that Andarna's completely different, but Violet 
doesn't. And my heart is absolutely breaking for the scene that we're going to get in, I'm assuming, either later on in chapter one or chapter two, and how what's going to happen in that scene with Violet. I'm My heart is already like cracking open for her in that moment. Wait, why are you like sad for Violet? Because I, I don't, am. Why? Because, because she's going to have a big badass dragon. Yes, but like everything she knows is a fucking lie and then she like wakes up and her like one of her dragons who literally was like her only comfort we saw that in fourth wing when she found out that Mira was alive she went and ran into Indarna's arms and just cried she has such a connection with this dragon and now that dragon she already feels like so betrayed by them and then all of a sudden she looks different like that is so much change to happen to someone in a day I do not envy Violet in that moment I don't either I don't think it's going to be a sad reunion though I think it's going to be heartwarming in its own unique way. I'm afraid. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm afraid. That's all I have to say. Oh, man. There's too many other things to be afraid of. Uh, Oh, those are not going to the wayside. (laughs) Even though we don't really get many clues about this, got to mention it, her feather tail-ness. We've been working under the impression that feather tails are babies. Since she's not a baby anymore, that must mean that she's not a feather tail anymore. There's just no mention of this one way or the other. TBD on feather tail-ness. TBD on Feathertailness, Lexi, 2023. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Bodhi's arrival, which is just adding so many questions. Oh, my gosh. I just like, oh, this excerpt is just perfect for me because it ha- both of these are because it's got the dragons and it's got the politics. And I love you, Zayden. But like, I needed all of this so badly. I'm OK that Zayden wasn't in these two excerpts. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to know. But like, we needed other information other yes. than just a Zayden download. Yes. We, we already got the, the other shorter excerpt of Zayden and Violet. It's like, okay, they're still on their shit. They're going to work through it. We know that. Like, there's still the spiciness and the drama. And now we can focus yeah. on this. Back to focusing on this. So here's what we know about Bodhi's arrival. There is a missive from Besgaith for Brennan. So it sounds like he's in communication with at least one person in Besgaith. And it's also insinuating that Brennan is certainly a leader of this revolution. We could kind of put that together at the end of the last book, but this really is cementing it. This is going to be really interesting to learn more about and his positioning as this leader, because I'm in total agreement with you. I think he is definitely in a leadership role. So along with the missive, we also learned that there is a writer from Bezgaith who will be in Arisha until tonight, which means in addition to the person Brennan is communicating with at Bezgaith, there is another writer coming to and from Bezgaith. We know that is an 18-hour flight one way now. That's a lot of flying. Now, since Zayden has an entirely marked one squad for the war games, this has to be someone else at Bezgaith. Now, Zayden was only allowed to pick people from his wing to get into his squad for the war game. So maybe there was another marked one in a different wing at Bezgaith, and that could be that person. But I don't know. I, who is this person? Who is this writer? I'm going to go that it's not one of the marked ones, it, which Ooh. does make me wonder, is this writer part of the war games that was supposed to be going on? And now it's soon wrapping up. So that's why they have to get back tonight. Because I do think that the five days of war games are up. So yeah. this writer could be a participant who broke away from their squad or something along those lines or they were not a participant in the war games which would make them somebody working there who has already graduated oh yeah okay i like your thinking i like your thinking there then we get to lieutenant colonel asari and i'm a little bit confused about this individual is Bodhi addressing Brennan by this name? Like, Lieutenant Colonel could absolutely be Brennan's military rank. It could be his undercover name, so it's not to raise suspicion. I think, Nicole, what do you want to say here? Freaking out at this, dude. 
supposed to put it. So originally when I was listening, I've listened to this excerpt more times than I can fucking count between covering it on TikTok and now covering it for this podcast. My guess, originally listening to it, I thought that 100% this was from Lieutenant Colonel Asari to Brennan. I thought that this was the who the missive was from. However, Bodhi just comes in and says, Lieutenant Colonel Asari from Bezgayeth yeah. and like literally hands it over to him. So I do think he actually is addressing Brennan as Lieutenant Colonel Asari. So if he is, does this mean that everyone at Arisha knows who Brennan is? Or do they think this is a guy named Asari? Like this person in the kitchen who's walking back and forth, who may or may not be beneath Brennan in more ways than one. Do they know that is actually Brennan? Or do they think that this is just an entirely new person? Is this just our crew, our squad that we were with for war games? Do they just know that this is Brennan? I hadn't even thought about it that way Nicole like oh my gosh and I did double check I went through fourth wing I did my search on my ebook and this person Asari is not listed there anywhere so this is an entirely new name that we have not heard before and I definitely originally thought that it was Bodhi saying who the missive was from but then after rereading it I don't think that's the case just based on the sentence structure like you were saying so I definitely think this is what Brennan now calls himself and to your point I bet not a lot of people know that it's actually Brennan. This is his new identity. So in Fourth Wing, Violet says, quote, he'd be a captain by now or maybe even a major given the way his career had taken off. So Colonel would be a, I don't know much about the military, but I know that would be a large step for someone to take from major to Colonel. Now, I don't know if they had a lot of choices at Arisha after Naolin, at least we what we think, brought him back from the brink of death. Like, so maybe when that happens, like maybe when you get brought back from the dead like a god, you get maybe to skip a few steps. I don't know. But like, I'm just so curious about this. First of all, that's very Harry Potter becomes the head of the or <laughs> office because it's like, dude, you didn't even finish your seventh year. <laughs> When you kill the Dark Lord, I think you get I think you get status. I don't know as much about the military rankings. The only thing I know about them is from my all-time favorite show, MASH. And yes, yeah, so like Lieutenant Captain, like there are like those pairings. And so he's not a full-blown colonel, but he is certainly a lieutenant colonel, which is a few steps down from that. Dad would be so proud of you right now. It's ridiculous. For mentioning MASH on this podcast, he would be MASH so proud. is my absolute favorite show. Like I know that's probably coming as a, quite the shock to a lot of people. <laughs> How high fantasy, Lex. I know, right? Let's have some fun here. Let's speculate. Who is this writer from Beskyeth and who is the missive from? Nicole, I'm going to make this so drawn out just to just keep you on your seat. Personally, I don't think we as a reader knows who this writer is. I do think that it's someone who isn't actively in the war games. So it is somebody who has graduated. I also don't think that it is a marked one. I think that this just goes to show how much bigger this operation is than we currently know. Which brings us to the most important question here. I don't know about the most important. There's so many big important questions. But anyway, who is the missive from? Well, I that on the other hand, I definitely think it is a character that we know. For instance, it could be from Lilith herself, our possible double agent who might actually know her son is alive. You know, she could be helping the revolution from the inside. That's certainly a big theory. And the missive could certainly be from her. Here's the one thing I will say about this is that if it is Lilith, just knowing that there's five books that are coming, I would imagine that that would be like a big surprise in a third or later book, which makes me think that it's not Lilith because knowing Violet, homegirl's going to put on her Ravenclaw hat and try to figure out 
as soon as possible who the person is who sent this letter. Or we might even find out just later on in the chapter but after it gets cut off. I don't even want to talk about the way it got cut off. It was so mean. I personally do not think it's Lilith, but would that be delicious? Absolutely. I, I don't think it's her either because... I think it's who you're going to talk about next. And I'm so Nope, excited. I'm still not going to talk about who that person you're is. Cruel. It could also be Professor Markham or Nolan, who's another mender. I bet he and Brennan did a lot of work together. And he has made some hints that he didn't feel good about what happened with with the Rebellion and the Marked Ones and all of that. You know, it could just be another one of our older side characters, which brings me to who Nicole and I are both convinced this is, who the missive is from, Professor Carr. There's already speculation, Nicole has been adamant about this throughout the podcast, that he is already working for the revolution. We've had several of you message us saying, you know, you think that Professor Carr is part of the rebellion. Absolutely. I am 99% sure, just having fun theorizing, that the missive is from him. So I want to just paint a picture real quick, because when you and I were texting about this, and you had not mentioned that you think it's Professor Carr, I hadn't even thought about who it was yet at this point. I was walking around my apartment complex, and then you mentioned... I think it's Professor Carr. I screamed out loud and dropped my phone. And the (laughs) amount of people who looked at me like I had five heads were hilarious. And I was like, I had to be like, it's about a book. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Everything's fine. I ran away really quickly just to close out that mental picture. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we can parse this a little bit more later. But yeah, like the language that Professor Carr uses, you know, about losing Brennan, not killing Brennan, but losing him, which is the same language that Zayden actually uses, you know, (laughs) about like you lost your, this is the anniversary of when you lost your brother. I also think that just from the way that he's been training Violet, it was a little bit of a threat when he was talking about, you know, her and Zayn being a formidable pair. But Nicole and I also were wondering, is it him kind of having some curiosity about her and trying to get a feel for her and really like the impact that she could have for the revolution? So that's, we have no idea ultimately, but that is my headcanon that it is Professor Carr. Same. And then, of course, we have to wonder, what is this missive about? Is it insight into the setup for Zayden with the war games? Could it even be just a standard report about what's going on at Biscayeth? Bodhi's casualness about this missive and how he says to Brennan, you know, if you want to reply, makes it seem like it's not really a pressing matter to them. It just seems very standard, which is kind of threw me off. My sub point is pretty useless, but my guess was that it is something to do with leadership and the no in regards to the Venom attack. But that would definitely require a reply is my guess. So I, I guess you're right. I guess it is kind of standard operating procedure, but a lot has happened that should not be a standard operating procedure. Exactly. No. Or maybe something not quite to this extreme, but Venom attacks are just so frequent that it's like, oh, yeah, it's another standard, which again, I think that it is more of just a standard report from Best Guy. It could certainly be about the setup. But since they've already lived it, and they were not initially expecting for them to fly to Arisha, that it's kind of like, a okay, well, this is just playing catch up. Brennan, Brennan already knows the extent of what's happened. And so it's not as pressing for him, even if it would have originally been pressing if he did not already have all this information when they showed up. This does bring up the question, though, how often did Zayden and Brennan communicate back and forth last year from Beskayeth, since we now know that there's communication? But it's 18 hours one way. I know, but this is a rebellion, Lexi. You have commitment. Then the preview cuts off in a way that literally, like, 
So the two videos that we did on this, probably the most amount of comments that we had from y'all was about how infuriating it was having the preview cut off mid-sentence. This was just rude. Let's think about what could the sentence ending be? You know, to quote the end, Bizgayeth, another writer here, how many are there? Exactly how big is Exactly how big is this revolution? Exactly how big is this secret operation? I think something to that effect is yeah. what the rest of the sentence was going to be. My guess is revolution. It does paint a valid question. How many writers in and around Navarre are part of this revolution? I think that it's going to be way more than we originally thought. And that's why this revolution is going to be so different from the last one. They have more support from the inside. Maybe because of how leadership squashed the truth six years ago, more people noticed than they hoped would notice. And we're like, that's not right. And that's why they now have more people working on the inside to support the truth, right? So- Before we move on to the next excerpt, here are just a few little details that caught our attention that will keep us up at night. I don't know if this will keep me up at night, but just a nice (laughs) little tidbit here. It's described as the scarred wooden table. And we just get little hints like this that the space, it's been through a lot. You know, that's following up with the chapter opening about how Arisha was burned to the ground. It was. It was scarred. The whole area was scarred. And that's notable from just like these little things like a scarred wooden table. How the heck did that wooden table survive it? It's also mentioned that they're in a busy kitchen. So Arisha, or at least the castle in Arisha that we're in, is highly active and also calling it a castle but no one's acting like royalty necessarily at least not that we can see from Brennan they're eating right there at the kitchen table but in the kitchen of the castle so like it it seems very informal there which yes I'm excited to learn more about Me too. And then happy 21st birthday, Violet. Uh, This also dates the story for us. We know that it's in July. I had figured that it was between June and July. So now we absolutely know that it is in July. Poor girl sleeping through her 21st birthday. That's being unconscious on your 21st birthday. Who would have thought thought of something like that? And then last but not least, Bodhi smiling at Violet, and he strikes her as a softer version of Zayden, who is obviously his cousin. We haven't really gotten a whole lot of Bodhi yet in the story, and I have a feeling we're going to get a lot more Bodhi dynamic. I hope we get more Garrick dynamic, too, in Iron Flame. Me, too. I want that trio right there. All right. Now, because one was not enough, (laughs) they decided to stop our hearts with a second excerpt from Blackstone Library. Now, the last time I checked, this has actually been taken down. We do know that there was a person on Reddit who transcribed the entire two excerpts. So we'll link the Reddit transcription in the show notes so you guys can read it if you did not get to listen to the Blackstone or the Apple Books example. So this one, we have left Arisha, and we are now heading back to Bezgayeth. My number one question, and I put this in all caps in the outline, what chapter is this? When is this? Are they flying back for graduation? Are they flying back for the start of the year? What the hell is happening? If I had to guess, which I don't feel so confident about my guesses anymore since (laughs) I'm zero for two right now. If you get Professor Carr right, we, I will give you full credit for Professor Carr. <laughs> there we Carr. go. I would say like something like chapter three or so, like chapter three, chapter four, like in those early chapters. Well, I'd be surprised if she did leave Arisha this fast, especially as Violet and Indarna are recovering. I wonder if she's going back to Best Guy at night with the writer who brought Brennan that missive. Remember, Bodhi said the writer was going to back to Best Guy tonight, and this is at night. A lot of dragons are traveling at night, so not to draw attention. So it could be later that day. 
Like I mentioned earlier, I do think that the five days that War Games are up, they need to head back at some point. There were two days in and around Athbane between getting there, the big battle, and then getting to Arisha, and then she's been asleep for three days. So we're at five days when War Games is done. Graduation was 10 days after Reunification Day, so it, we now know that it's five days after Violet wakes up. That's approximately the week that Andarna needs to recover and for them to get back to graduation. So maybe it's not that night, but it is within that same week so that they can get back to graduation after Violet and Andarna have recovered enough. So we do get a mention of the riot, which the riot of dragons are flying. I'm curious as to how many people and their dragons are considered a riot is it two is it 10 you know what does it look like and who are these people who are flying in this riot with their dragons in the dead of night for Andarna I am strongly assuming that Zayden is among this riot making sure that Andarna gets settled and heading back to Arisha or maybe like to your point Lex like he's heading back for graduation, which would mean we'd also have Bodhi and Garrick among them. Are they flying back in time for graduation? Did they miss it? Because if Andarna needs to sleep for a week and they had five days, this also means that most likely at this point between these two excerpts, we've had a full-on Zayden and Violet scene, which kills me that we know that it's happened between these two and we haven't gotten it. I know I said earlier that I'm fine with it, but I don't know if I am. I actually go back on everything I said. So my guess is that this riot of dragons and their riders, or at least just their riders, are Imogen, Violet, Zayden, Garrick, Bodhi, maybe plus or minus a few. I agree. I, th- I think it's the remaining crew and now the returning, plus maybe the rider from Besgaeth. We do finally get a time distance between Arisha and Besgaeth. This has been such a conversation on this podcast, and we now know for sure it is 18 hours. So it's very safe to assume that all our questions about Zayden flying back and forth between Arisha are not true. I don't know how he could have done that and still attend school at Best Guy. Right? Like they do have some like secret missions where they're gone for a few days. So it's possible, but that's like two, three full days of travel with round trip and then having to be there. It's literally like coming and saying hi to Brennan and then heading out. So I don't think that it's happening as often as we might have thought. I was blown away by it. It was this far. Like I knew it was far, but I did not think it was this far. And I just love getting these distant measurement confirmations that we can now apply to the rest of the map. So I can look at my map now and know how far that distance is. So now I can use that for the rest of the map. You know me. I just, I love it. I I love it that now I need a big blown up map so I can have all my check marks and everything. If anyone makes that on Etsy, send it our way. We (laughs) want to see the link. We want to see that. Here's what I will say on car road trips that are like 18 hours, like it's already so long, but like you at least have your phone or an audio book or a podcast or something to listen to 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 make the time go by faster they have nothing they have their conversation in their head between them and their dragon but that's 18 hours I would be so bored my butt would be so (laughs) numb like I wouldn't be able to walk after that for a few days like seven hours was already a lot for them like can you imagine 18 hours almost straight through the night holy moly that would be horrible that would be Ah. so so bad now we get to talk about the Empyrean download. We didn't get like a crazy much more information, so I'll call it a mini download, but I will take whatever we can get here. So here is what we learn. 600 years ago, six humans were desperate to save their people, and they approached the dragon's den in hopes of making a deal. That is some bravery right there. These dragons formed the first of the Empyrean and bonded these six humans. It was to protect their hatchling grounds, the Vale, from the venom that were invading that these humans were up against and they were losing. So that's why they had to entrust the dragons. The dragons agreed to this because they considered the venom a much bigger threat than the humans. 
fair assumption, but that might bite them later on, maybe in this book series. Dragons, they can't weave wards, but the humans can to protect their young. So again, we've talked so much about this partnership between the two of them. There's a delicate balance to this partnership because, you know, neither species has ever been entirely truthful. The dragons, they don't share information about their hatchlings. That's very obvious here. And the humans, they have their own motives to stay safe and to use the dragon magic. However, I will say this. I don't think that writers can hide anything from their dragons, right? Right? They're bonded and therefore the dragons can read their minds. So you can't really hide your truth from your dragon. So I'm curious to see how this will play out with the humans keeping things from the dragons. It'd have to be more as a collective whole and like the scribes and, and their own motivations versus on an individual basis there. Well, that does make me think about how Colonel Atos was like, can we study Andarna? Like, would his dragon have heard that and just been like, yeah, dude, support? Like, or would he been like, what the fuck? Like, why would you ask that? Which brings back my, one of my biggest questions of how does this work with the dragons and their humans and the different dragons? Like, what is the political dynamic here with the, which side the dragons are on and how that works with their writers because a dragon and its writer like have to be on the same side, right? That would be some serious, serious family drama <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> so true. I love that we're already getting such a yummy Empyrean lore download. And I have a feeling that like, this is just going to be such a huge part of Iron Flame. Now, I do have a question for you, Lex. What do you make of this line? Taryn says, we don't exactly have opposable thumbs for weaving wards or runes. What? Like, what? So I know that, like, the rune daggers kill venom, but I thought it was the alloy in the daggers that killed them, not the runes on the daggers. Yeah, I, that made me pause too, because it made me wonder, like, are the runes the magical material that can kill venom? Like you just said, like, it's the alloy that's in them. So I'm just going to say, I think that there is so much more magic in this world than we can fathom right now. And I am so excited. The first book was kind of like, oh, you know, here's this like world. It's pretty contemporary. Yes, there's magic. And then I, I have a feeling it's just gonna be like, and here's more magic and more magic. I'm so excited. So Violet being mad at Tarn, much like how she's frustrated, I'll say with Brennan, I do not blame her for being pissed. And she even drops the betrayed word. I don't blame her for feeling betrayed by this in the slightest. I don't think she's actually as mad as I thought she would be. I mean, to be fair, we have not seen the first in-person meeting of her, Taryn and Adarna. So there might be some major anger there. And then she just kind of got it out of her system. And this is just more the residual lingering. I don't know. What are your thoughts? We have to remember that Violet and Taryn did go into battle and both come out alive after she learned about his line by omission. So they have the shared experience of that strong partnership in battle. Like they, they did not have time or energy or focus focused to worry about their issues. They had to stay focused, kill the Venn and save the people. So I do think that after having that shared experience, even when she was mad at him, that I'll call it dulled her anger. They've been through this other thing. She knows that she can't stay mad at him. And that's it's just kind of a residual right now. I think that's super, super fair. And to the same point, she mentions that she still feels betrayed. However, she knows that she's going to kind of eventually let it go, to paraphrase. But Taryn has his mating bond with Sigail. And Darna is just a kid who followed his lead. Now, this did kind of surprise me, though, because... Taryn and his mating bond to Sigail, like that is capital C canon. But when it comes to Andarna, 
it, it did kind of surprise me that she was so like, oh, yeah, and then Andarna, da, da, da. I know she does kind of have a soft spot for the, the kid dragon who's not so kid anymore, but I don't know. What are your thoughts here? I think that, yes, she respects Taryn's commitment to his mated dragon. Like, there's nothing, like, she can't argue against that. And then she also understands Andarna following her elders, which is probably the first time she's ever actually done that. I think that, yeah, it's just her soft spot for Andarna. So then there's the second part of this paragraph. She says, Zayden is another matter entirely, though. There are some people on the internet who have asked, why hasn't she already forgiven Zayden when they've listened to this excerpt? I personally love that she's still pissed at him, and I'm assuming she will be for a while. He lied to her for almost, to your point here, he, did, he didn't outright lie, but he was very untruthful to her for almost a year. I don't want her to just forgive him at the drop of a hat. Like, homeboy needs to be in the doghouse for a minute. I agree. You know, his defense is that he didn't outright lie. He just didn't share a lot of information with her. And he used some really sneaky word choices. Like losing. losing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that if she forgives him too fast, that's too much. And she has to forgive her dragons in a way that it, there's this different kind of unconditional love that you have with your family where it's like, I know you did something wrong and I'm mad, but I'll get over it. And with him, that was a conditional love. That was her heart on the line in a way that it's not the same with her with her dragons. So I totally get how different it is. Well, and I do think some of this anger that she feels towards him is embarrassment, I'll say for lack of a yes. better term, that she admitted that she was in love with him. She outright told him that she was in love with him and she has fallen for this guy who wasn't honest with her. I would feel, again, I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but I would feel so angry at myself for doing such a thing. And I would absolutely take that anger out on him because that's the type of person I am. I do want to take a moment and just thank, though, the Blackstone Library for being oh so very kind and cutting this off in a natural transition point. Thank you, Blackstone Library, for not being a dick. I, I wonder if it was just like how on purpose that was with Apple Podcasts. It was just like, okay, here's five minutes, boom. And then it's like, oh, crap, that really cut off at a bad time. Or if it was like a... <laughs> Well, so to to that same point, in Audible, it is only five minutes, and it doesn't matter where it cuts off. It just cuts off. I'm assuming Apple Books is similar. A, a real quick clarity, though, it's not on Audible. This is just when there are previews of a book on Audible. Correct. I bet a lot of people just open their Audible app so fast. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes, it is only like with any preview for any book that you see on Audible. So now to close out this surprise bonus episode, we can determine the dragons are taking their writers to the flight field and then the dragons are immediately taking off to the veil to get Indarna there before the sun comes up. Which brings us back to the question we asked a little while ago in the first excerpt. What does Andarna look like that would make this such a stealth mission? Some speculate that onlookers would just wonder what dragon that is because they don't recognize her, even if she was a regular color, where they'd look at the riot and be like, oh, wait, that's so-and-so, so-and-so, so who's that other dragon? Oh, that must yeah. be Andarna. Again, it really does make me stick to the fact that she is a unique color and she isn't able to blend in with the other dragons, that she is extremely unique here and that she would be immediately recognizable and cause a lot of questions that she is not a hatchling anymore more, which again makes me wonder, wait, why is she not golden? I don't understand. But anyway, I will let that go until November 7th. I will not. I will not <laughs> let that go until November 7th. The reason they have to do this secretly is to protect the hatchling secret. And that makes me wonder, again, if I was wrong. Oh, God, am I zero for three here? <laughs> Which I thought that this might not be such a big deal that she was no longer a hatchling. I don't, I said it just a few episodes ago. 
But apparently it is a big deal that she's no longer a hatchling and they have to hide this. So I have to wonder, is she just going to be hiding out in the veil? I had been like, no, like that's not possible. But it sounds like that is possible. That's exactly what's about to happen. Oh, God, I don't know. Because she also needs to practice flying within Darna. So how is that going to work? I love how this answered a lot of questions, but it added about 10 questions for every one question it answered. Exactly. All right, friends, that is all we have for this bonus episode today. This is not an episode we knew we were record, but we're so happy we were able to get it out because a lot of you were asking for it. Go check out our merch store. Again, all of the links are in the show notes to go see what is up in there. We have God fucking damn it, Dane, everything. I'm so excited for my stuff to come in. I can't even tell you. And of course, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fantasy Fangirls Pod. Also, please do not forget to rate and review the show. It helps us so much with getting the news out there. And you know what I'm going to say. Last but not least, share this with your fellow fourth wing friends. You guys are absolutely amazing. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and we will talk to you soon. Bye.